All right, all right. Hey, get your, uh, get your Bible out and let's open it up to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one at your seat and we'd like for everybody to have an open Bible. We're in our series called Identity Defined and we're looking at what does the scripture say about who we are? And one of the major themes that we've been studying week after week after week is the, is the fact that our identity is in Christ, right? Our identity is in Christ. And, and through this passage from chapter, verse 3 through verse 14, I think 11 times he says in Christ or in him or in the beloved, he just keeps driving us back to our identity uh, is in Christ. And we've already seen a lot, of, a lot of things about who we are. For example, in verse 3 it says in Christ, if you're in Christ, uh, then you're blessed, Right? And then in verse 4, it says, if you're in Christ, you're, you're holy and blameless in God's sight. Uh, in verse 5, it says, if you're in Christ, you're adopted into God's uh, family. And then uh, today, we're going to look at another one, pick it, picking up in verse 7, and, and that is this. If you are in Christ, wait for it, if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. All right, let's just say that out loud. Ready? One, two, three. If you are in Christ, go ahead and say that with me. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Forgiven. I love that. All right, let's just dive right on into it now. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse uh, 7. This is the Word of God. Uh, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Why don't you just uh, take a minute and circle that word forgiveness, all right? That's, that's the key phrase here, Forgiveness. This is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible from Genesis where sin enters into the world all the way to Revelation when Christ comes again. It's like a, a thread that runs all the way that really holds the Bible together is this theme of forgiveness. It's what you need. It's what only God can give. It's what Christ came to provide. It's why uh, it's the purpose of the cross it is all about forgiveness. And so we talked about right here in him, uh, we have forgiveness. Now, this is a really uh, poignant time. Really, I didn't, I didn't schedule this or plan this out. It just kind of worked out this way. Uh, but some of you may know that this next week is Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur, if you have Jewish friends, Yom Kippur is, is literally the day of atonement. Yom meaning day, At Kippur is atonement. So the Day of Atonement is a, is a holy, um, uh, it's not a festival, it's not a celebration, it's really a, a gathering, a holy gathering of the Jewish people every year where they, they meet together and they pray and they repent and they confess their sins and they seek God for forgiveness. It's something that Jewish people all over the world this week, I think Tuesday through Tuesday evening through Wednesday evening will be Yom Kippur where the Jewish people will gather together to ask God for forgiveness. And by the way, this, uh, this today, the way that works is they'll usually go to a synagogue, there'll be prayers, there'll be readings, there'll be responsive readings, 
all kind of based on this theme of confession and seeking God for forgiveness. Some will fast all day. If they're really, really devout, they won't even have water all day long. They will, they will uh, come before God to seek cleansing and forgiveness. Now, this is an is a observance that began in the Old Testament. If you look at Leviticus 19, you really begin to see uh, how this got started. In fact, the difference between Yom Kippur today and the difference of the way it was when Jesus was here is that on the, when Christ represented or, or experienced Yom Kippur, uh, it was a day of sacrifice, which is not the case today. It was a day of sacrifice. For example, if you go to Leviticus and you read what God ordained for that day, he said that that was the only time in the whole year that the high priest could actually go into the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was, where, where uh, God dwelt. It, it, that was the only time in the year that he could do this on Yom Kippur. It was the holiest of holy days. Now, in order to prepare for that, the priest, the high priest, would uh, go through a ceremonial bathing and watch, washing, and then he would put on his, his uh, sacred garments uh, that represented uh, the people to God and God to the people. He would put these sacred garments on, and then he could not be exposed to anything unclean or, or anything that would defile him. And then he would offer first off a, a bull, uh, for his own sin, because the high priest was a sinful man. And so he would have to offer up a sacrifice for his own sin and the sin of, the, of his own family. And then he would apply that to the Ark of the Covenant, to the, to the mercy seat, the basin that sat on top of that box. And he would apply the, the blood of that sacrifice there to atone for his own sin. And then he would go out before the people. And if you can just try to imagine, the whole nation is now coming together in one city in Jerusalem. And just, it's just packed full of people. And now they're all on the Temple Mount and they're all watching at a distance trying to see what's happening. And the high priest would appear before them in his holy garments and he would hold in his hand one in each hand a goat and on one goat he would slay it and offer it as a sacrifice for the people's sins so that their sins could be atoned for their sins could be forgiven and then with another goat, he would take it and he would put his hands on the goat as if to somehow ceremonially uh, transfer the sins of the people onto this animal. And then after the sins were laid on the animal, the animal would be released into the wilderness to die. And, and that, that's where we get the term scapegoat from. It, it literally means that this animal took on the sins of others and paid the penalty for it. So this, this day of atonement in Jesus's day was all about sacrifice. There, there was no way to have forgiveness without sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin, the scripture says. And so they understood that. Now they did this year after year uh, after year, this day of atonement, a day of forgiveness. Now, by the way, we see Jesus all through that ceremony, all right? Jesus' picture, his face is all through uh, the day of atonement or Yom Kippur. In fact, uh, uh, if you look at it, he is the ultimate high priest. That he is the one that, that has come, that stands between God and the people to reconcile the two of them together. And he doesn't have to offer a, a sacrifice for his own sin because he's perfectly pure. He was the God-man. He was God in flesh. And so he stands as the ultimate high priest 
over the household of God. We see him also as the goat that is slain, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. In fact, in Revelation, that's what they call him. Behold, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It was through his blood on the cross that our sins are forgiven. We also see him as the ultimate scapegoat that took on our sin, that on the cross, all of the things you did wrong were put on the back of innocent Jesus. And, and, and when we cry out to him in faith that his righteousness comes to us, this is the beautiful picture. Now get this, the Jewish people saw this over and over and over, and it was only a foreshadowing, a forecasting of the ultimate high priest, the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate scapegoat that would come in the person of Jesus Christ. Now that's who he is, and that's how we get atonement. That's how we're forgiven. You know, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 says this, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I love that sat down part, all right? You say, well, what's, what does that mean? That means that the priest had, there was no provision for them to sit down, all right? They had to work. Right? They had to continually offer sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. They, they were constantly busy because the work could never be done because even what they were doing couldn't take away someone's sins. He said, but when Christ came and when he went to the cross and when he went to the tomb and he rose again and he ascended into heaven, he sat down. I think he sat down, he put his feet up, all right? Because what that means is it's done. It's finished. There's not another sacrifice. Do I have to do this again next year? Uh, no, no, it is completed. That's why when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, he meant it is done. All right. By the way, that's really good news for us. Isn't that really good news? Can we just thank God for that? That is completed at the cross. So you don't have to go through this over and over. And by the way, this is what, this is what Paul is talking about now in Ephesians chapter 1. All that's just setting up what he's talking about. When he talks about that we are forgiven or forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of trespasses, that's what he's talking about, what Jesus did on the cross. You know, uh, if you're in Christ, you're forgiven. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. <laughs> that's just so good to hear. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven of all your sin. It was placed on Jesus. It was taken away, removed as far as the east is from the west. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. And forgiveness is a beautiful thing, isn't it? You know, when we, when we experience forgiveness, it's a beautiful thing. Forgiveness in a marriage means that we can come together and we can have a marriage. Forgiveness uh, restores friendships that have been uh, uh, broken or, or estranged. Forgiveness is what brings a wayward child home. Forgiveness is what allows us to, to walk together as a family. It's, it's a beautiful thing to experience forgiveness. If you've ever needed to be forgiven of anything then you know how beautiful forgiveness really is. And, and Paul is going to kind of unpack for us a little bit of the beauty of forgiveness. And so I want to give you a couple of thoughts to write down every week. I always give you a couple of things to write down. Uh, that's so you can think about it during the week and you can talk about it over lunch, all right? That's always your assignment, all right? Pull out your notes, let's talk about it over lunch. So write a couple of these thoughts down. I'm going to talk about, about the beauty of forgiveness. So here's the first thing I want you to know. Forgiveness is beautiful because God's forgiveness redeems us. God's forgiveness redeems us. Look at verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now underline that word redemption. 
Uh, that word redeemed or redemption, man, that's a really important word. It literally means to buy back something or to purchase or, or to release by means of payment. Probably the best word for redeemed, and you could circle that and write this in the margin of the Bible, is the word ransom. All right, you know what a ransom is, right? Uh, to purchase someone's freedom, ransom. I remember uh, when the movie came out, I watched it uh, several months ago. It's called All the Money in the World. This movie came out last year. And it's a true story about J. Paul Getty uh, and his grandson. J. Paul Getty at the time, in the, back in the 60s and 70s, one, I guess the wealthiest man in the world, um, massive oil tycoon, helped really get the oil established and started in Saudi Arabia. I mean, this is a massively wealthy, powerful man. And his grandson in 1974 was abducted uh, by criminals in Rome and held for ransom. They held him for ransom and they, were, they asked for $17 million for his grandson's ransom. And over the course of time, uh, J. Paul Getty refused to pay the ransom. In fact, he told them that he could only... Uh, contribute up to a million dollars and still be tax deductible. And so that was as much as he could possibly uh, let go of. This is a man that owns everything. He was like, he was concerned about his tax deductible donations. Uh, and, and so spoiler alert, okay, spoiler alert, plug up your ears if you don't want to hear the end of the story, all right. Ends up, the grandson does, is rescued. He is rescued. But the movie continually depicts J. Paul Getty as a powerful man, a wealthy man, a man that controlled everything, that could do whatever he wanted, and yet he refused to pay a ransom for his own grandson. He was so consumed with his stuff that he couldn't let any of it go, even if it was his own family. And, I, and I, as I watched that movie, I remember when it was over and I just kind of let the credits roll and I was just thinking about what I had seen. I, I remember thinking, I'm so glad that God's not like that, right? That, that God isn't up there in heaven going, well, I, I, I may do a little bit of this and I may do a little bit of that, but that's about all I can handle right now. And he, he understood what it would take to ransom you back. He understood what it would take for, to ransom you from your sin, to pay the penalty for, for your freedom, for you to be released from the penalty of sin and death. He understood that that would cost his own son's life. And he was willing to pay that. He says that you have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. First Peter uh, 1.18 says it, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sin, sinless, spotless, get this, Lamb of God. See, that goes all the way back to the Day of Atonement. There he is, the, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, who was our ransom. That's Jesus. That's why he's called a Redeemer, by the way. Over and over in the Bible, he's called a redeemer. God's called a redeemer. In Isaiah 47, 4, Oh, our redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. So listen, if you're in Christ, you're forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back. Uh, God made you, and then he purchased you. 
God created you in his image and then he bought you back with the price of his own son. You've been ransomed. You've been forgiven. You've been set free. It's a beautiful thing. He redeemed us. Uh, Secondly, write this down. Not only did he redeem us, but God's forgiveness also uh, lavishes grace on us. God's forgiveness lavishes grace on us. Look Look at it. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. I want you to just underline the phrase, grace which he lavished upon us. See, when God forgave you, he lavished grace upon you. You go, what what does that mean? What does it mean to lavish grace? You know, the word lavish means uh, over the top, right? Uh, Over and above. I mean, way overkill, all right? If you lavish on somebody, I mean, you're just just pouring over and over and over on them. Uh, Let me give you a little illustration of that. Um, Liz and I met when we were 10 years old. Okay, we know each other a long time. Bless her heart, right? Bless her heart. And, uh, and, and so we, we knew each other in high school, kind of started dating a little bit. In high school, we ended up going to college together. And, and I decided that I wanted to propose to her. And I, I wanted this to be something she would always remember. All right? I didn't want it to be, how did Craig propose to you? Well, we, we were like in a grocery store getting green beans. And he asked, you want to get his? I didn't want that to be the case. All right? So I wanted it to be something that she would remember. So I went to work for the highway department down in Bryan, Texas, and I was working on the highway department all summer. And while I was doing that, I was saving up all my money to buy her a ring and to make this proposal. And so I I developed this whole plan. All right. And the plan uh, on the day of execution or the, the day the plan goes into effect, I called her up and I said, uh, hey, how you doing? She goes, oh, fine. It was early in the morning. I said, well, I've got something for you. And I made all the arrangements. I told her she had the day off. I already called her boss that she had the day off. And I said, by the way, you need to talk to your mom because she's got tickets for you to fly to Dallas. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. And so I, she was just shocked, man. You're flying me to Dallas. I mean, from Lubbock to Dallas. That's a big deal. You know, that's a big time, man. That's big, big time. And so, uh, so we, she flew her into Dallas and I picked her up at the airport and I, I've got a suit on. Get this, I've got a tie on. That tells you how special it was. And, uh, and I, I had a suit, I bought a new tie and, and I, got, I had my suit on. She's like, wow, you look nice. I mean, Thank you, you look good. And, and so we go out and we're, I remember standing there at the airport, I think it was at Love Field and it was pouring down rain. And so I thought, well, let's just wait here for just a minute and see if the rain lights up. And, and as we're waiting, a limo pulls up and I say, come on. And, and so is that our car? I go, yeah. And we jumped in the back of this limousine. Right? And we're driving around Dallas in this limousine. I mean, now listen, for country people, that's something. That's high cotton. And, uh, and so we're driving around uh, Dallas in this limousine. I mean, it's, it's so awesome. And we're just talking about how great it is. And then he pulled us up to uh, the restaurant that's the big ball. You know, it's changed names several times, but you know, the big ball in Dallas. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so, so we get out of there and we go up the elevator to the top of this restaurant, and, and there was a long line, and I said, come on. And so we cut the line. We go, oh, Mr. Etheridge, right this way. And she's like looking at me like, what have you done? And, and so they take us to our special seat, and we're, in this, and we're having a great time, and she's just loving this. And, and then at the end of the meal, I said, hold on a second. I go go get, go get something. I went, and I, uh, by the way, most guys are hating me right now, but it's okay. All right? 
It's all right. It's okay. Uh, and so I, I go and I, I get some. I come back with a box of flowers, right? And so I lay it in front of her. And so she opens up the box and all these flowers. And in one of the flowers was the ring, right? And so she grabs the ring up and, uh, and she goes, is this my ring? And I go, yeah. And I got down on my knees and the whole restaurant's watching us. And, and, and I said, will you marry me? She said, yes. Everybody applauds. I mean, it was great. It was awesome. Uh, after it was over, we went down and we threw coins in the wishing fountain. And, we, and then we flew back uh, to Lubbock. And, and it, it was just a, it was an awesome experience. Now, why in the world? I mean, I had to work on the highway department a whole summer to pay for that. All right. I mean, sweating all summer to pay for the ring and that whole thing. I mean, that, that cost me something. That was, that was a lot of money and a lot of effort, a lot of time. Why did I do that? I could have just picked up the phone. I could have maybe just gone and waited until I saw her, asked her, that kind of thing. Why did I do that? Because I wanted to make a statement of how valuable she was to me and the lengths I would, was willing to go to draw her to myself. I just wanted to make a statement that she would remember her whole life. Now listen, that's exactly what God was doing on the cross. He was making a statement about how much you were worth and the lengths to which he was willing to go to draw you to himself. It says he was lavishing grace upon, I mean, it was just, not just a little grace, but grace upon grace, kindness upon kindness, favor upon favor, love upon love. He was doing that. Well, how did God lavish grace on us? Well, look at what it says. He did this, verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of his will. When you heard the gospel and it clicked for you, when you heard the gospel and you understood it, when all of a sudden your eyes were open, you go, oh, I get it. I, I'm a sinner. And Jesus came to pay the penalty for my sin on the cross, and he gave me insight and wisdom to understand what he was doing. At that moment, he was showing you grace. You know, there are a lot of people, they hear the gospel, it just rolls right off of them. They hear, they hear Christ loves you, that you've sinned against God, but Jesus paid the price for you, and he lavished grace. It just, just doesn't, doesn't affect them at all. But the moment that you God spoke to you. God opened your eyes. God drew you. That was the moment that he lavished grace upon you. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that moment when he, and all of a sudden you realized that Christ died for me, that I need forgiveness. That was the moment he lavished grace on you. Grace upon grace, lavished love. It's a beautiful thing, forgiveness. God's forgiveness redeems us. He lavishes grace upon us. Let me give you one more very quickly. God's forgiveness unites us. I love this. Unites us. Look at it. According to the purpose for which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Underline that phrase, unite all things in him. God's got a plan. I just want to set your mind at ease today. God's got a plan. God's got a, a purpose. He's working everything toward his purpose. I remember a seminary professor told me one time, I never forgot it. He said, history is his story. <laughs> it's his story. 
And, and he's working things together toward a determined end. God has got a plan. You may be watching television or, or looking online and going, man, is this going anywhere? Man, what, what is happening here? Everything looks so chaotic. No, no, don't worry. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. History is not circular. It is linear. Uh, it is not random. It is intentional. It is not aimless. But it is headed toward a predetermined end. And God has got this purpose and this plan to bring all men to himself, to, to draw all men of every language, every tongue, and every nationality, and every culture to faith in Jesus Christ. God's working this to the end. Look at it, to unite all things in him. Listen, what that means is this. Because we're forgiven, we can be united with God. We don't have to be separated from God anymore. Because of forgiveness, you can pray. Because you're forgiven, you can know that when you die, you're going to be in heaven. Because you're forgiven, you can know that you're right with God. You don't have to go through a ceremony year after year or confessions after confessions trying to do enough work to somehow tip the scales so that God will accept you. No, that's been done at the cross. You can be united with God. But it also means you can be united with each other. See, because God has forgiven you, then you can forgive others. Because you are right with God, you can be right with others. Last night, I went to a, uh, a banquet for an organization called One with Israel, which is a wonderful organization that really, uh, in, in creative and innovative ways, is using technology to get the gospel to Hebrew-speaking Jews. And they're having tremendous success with that. And uh, so last night, I was just kind of taking it all in. Uh, the founder... Uh, and president of, uh, of the organization, um, Aris uh, Soroff is his name, Aris Soroff. He said that uh, not only are they doing these videos about the gospel and about how Jesus has changed their life in Hebrew to the Jews, but they're also doing it uh, uh, to, to Arabs, and they're, they're doing it in, in Arabic to Arabs and to Palestinians and others. And they're seeing a lot of them come to faith in Christ also. And uh, they actually have a university there uh, in Jerusalem where they have Arabs and Jews both together that have come to faith in Christ. that are learning uh, and being trained as pastors to be church planters. And he made a statement last night that it, it so struck me that I actually got out my phone and I typed it in so I wouldn't forget it. This is what he said. He said, in the Messiah, the Jews and the Arabs love each other. In the Messiah, the Jews and the Arabs love each other. You know, see, in this world, there's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of friction. There's a lot of division. But in the Messiah, Jesus... That goes away. The, the wall of division that separates us the, the, between uh, races and between uh, political persuasions and between uh, uh, the sexes and between all the places where we're different and we polarize and we, and we hate one another, in the Messiah Jesus, in his forgiveness, we find we're united. Not just united with God, but united with others. And in, because of God's forgiveness, then you can be forgiven, and you can forgive those that hurt you and those that offend you. He's working all this to a predetermined plan where one day we're all going to be with him in heaven. One day he's going to right every wrong. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, 
for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that day, aren't you? Come on, Jesus. Bring it on. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can can make us right with the Father. Only Jesus can make us right with each other. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, that lamb that was sacrificed on the Day of Atonement at Calvary, only Jesus can redeem us and lavish grace upon us and make us one in him. Here's the question. Do you know Christ? Uh, if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. You don't have to go to a day of atonement every year. Jesus has accomplished it once and for all. But you have to receive it by faith. And you may be here today and you've never received forgiveness by faith. You may still be trying to earn it, but if I just can be good enough, I can try hard enough. Listen, you'll never be good enough to earn God's forgiveness. It's a gift that's given to you. It was paid in full by Jesus Christ. 